industrial products and machinery and medical supplies and supplies for dental offices. Like people buy everything on Amazon. And so um, I think the original question was, oh, yeah, Amazon doesn't work for me. Well, uh, you know, I, I certainly think that there are some products that won't work on Amazon, um, which which we turn away, and that is very high-end products like a Tiffany jewelry. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Hey, wanted to take a second and talk about Gay Lisby and Gary Ray's Amazon Seller Tribe and their daily lists that are put out um, and incredible stories that you can read if you go out and check out uh, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage. I know that's a lot to put in there. Amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum dash arbitron. And you're going to get 14 day free trial. No money risk. No, no challenges. You don't want it when you're done. You get out. But imagine getting a list, um, as Craig Fellows like to call it, mailbox money. I love that term, mailbox money. It's where you can work from your house, buy things online, have them delivered to you, and then sell them on uh, various marketplaces. But imagine you can have somebody else do that for you. So you want to buy time, you want to control what they're buying. Well, you take these lists and you can join multiple lists if you're interested. And then you can segregate them for the merchandise you want and send them to them. They can make purchases for you on your behalf, have it delivered to you or delivered to them for prep. Boom, sent into these marketplaces and you can sell. How about that? Wouldn't that be awesome? I spoke at their conference and there were so many million dollar sellers just using online arbitrage. It's still available. And again, 14 days. The only way you're going to get 14 day free trials if you come through my link. Um, it is an affiliate link. Um, they do pay me, so I don't want to mislead you in any way. Um, I would appreciate it, but I'd like to see you try the 14 days. I've had so many people that have joined, have so much success. It's very exciting to me and you know, quite humbling to me. Um, that they trust me to recommend this group. And I 100% recommend this group. I've seen the results. These are great people that will also teach you to fish. This isn't just a, hey, here's a list, you're on your own. No, this is, hey, here's why that wasn't a good deal. Or here, hey, there's another opportunity. And you get to join their groups. And it's just a phenomenal group of people. Um, just great, great uh, leaders in that group. And these lists are phenomenal. So again, it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage. Use that. Get two weeks free. Try it. You don't like it? Drop out. But give it a shot if you want to add that to your business. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 406, Kiri Masters. Um, Very cool story because Kiri does not deal with sellers like us, us meaning me and most listeners. Um... She generally deals with brands, and not just any brands, significant brands. And it's so interesting to hear her perspective on um, what happens going through a brand, what they go through, you know. And, and at the end, we get into some of the details, but you're going to keep this in mind. The, 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 one of the big takeaways that those big brands are like steering uh, shipping or giant cruise ships. It takes forever for them to turn. Um, your ability to quickly... Um, and accurately and on a dime change and adapt um, gives you an advantage and you absolutely should take care of it. Yeah, they have bigger cash flows, but that doesn't mean anything if they can't get an agreement on what to do. You have that opportunity and she really helps walk you through it. Um, Very cool. She really uh, walks through a lot of details about how to do certain things and I think it's just smart advice. Her her tip about getting unstuck is just great um, all in all and she has a podcast, which I like uh, anybody who has does a podcast, e-commerce Brain Trust podcast and where you can learn more about these things. And, and I just think there's a lot of value. Smart lady, um, just a great, great person to talk with. Let's get into the podcast. And welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. I'm excited about today's guest, um, a different kind of guest, somebody who I normally wouldn't talk to other than her PR agent was very, very persistent. I will give her that. Um, <laughs> however, I normally wouldn't talk to her because it's not necessarily relevant to my audience, which are generally newer sellers uh, who you know probably started selling books or started selling on eBay and started 
growing, maybe selling retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, wholesale, private label, working their way through, but they haven't hit the 10 million plus scale that normally um, my guest would be speaking to because she runs a digital agency called Bobsled Marketing and they represent brands um, in the 10 million plus range. Kiri Masters. Welcome, Kiri. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I did represent that well, right? I represented you well. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. (laughs) Yeah. No, perfect. That was great. Thank you. But what I like is that we're going to turn the conversation to something more relevant to those who listen and Steve, me, um, about uh, one of the kind of new ventures that Kiri's into is helping companies create their own Amazon, well, you call it an all-star Amazon team. I like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what would it look like for a small startup versus a larger company? Because like you say in our pre-call, that not everybody can afford a, a, a spectacular agency like yours, right? And so this <laughs> is kind of a, well, it's called an institute, right? So it's, is it kind of a like a, a whole uh, course and uh, outline that companies would use to, to build their team? Yeah, so I, I thought about a course, but as you, as you and everyone listening to the show knows you can't sit down, learn about Amazon for two weeks in a course and then mm. know exactly what to do for the it rest will change. of your life. Well, it'll change <laughs> the day after. <laughs> exactly. It changes all the time. Not all of that information is relevant because in the Amazon ecosystem, we've got brands selling to Amazon on a wholesale basis as well as resellers, as well as sellers selling on using FBA and seller fulfilled prime and merchant like there's there's so many different ways to um to work with Amazon and so sitting down and learning about the whole system is not necessarily helpful and a better way of actually learning um about such a complicated system and exactly what you should be doing is more of the blocking and tackling approach of of uh finding help when you need it and I think that that's a way that a lot of um, sellers and vendors currently learn today is Googling um, uh, what is Seller Fulfilled Prime? Yeah. Is that a good fit for me? And learning about things as they go because it's really you're drinking from the fire hose with Amazon. You need information that's relevant at that point in time. So instead of creating a course, the main foundation of the Marketplace Institute is a knowledge base, which has all the that searchable content, which is driven from processes that we've developed at Bobsled Marketing over the last five years, working with these larger brands, um, checklists, debriefs of different programs and whether it, they're a good idea for you. Um, so that's one piece. That's the knowledge base. The second piece is peer masterminds and a lot of um whether you're an e-commerce director at a really big brand or you're a or you're an entrepreneur on your own everyone wants to learn from their peers and understand what's working well in other companies similar to them so that's facilitated peer masterminds that we're going to set up and then the final piece of the marketplace institute that people love to hear about is the first and only amazon helpline where you can schedule a call with an Amazon expert, 10, 20 minute call about a specific topic and get, you know, a direct like a real person, answer. a real person Wait, who what? knows what they're talking about. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that, that's what, when I, when I was researching this and talking with brand, um, e-commerce managers and directors at brands, that's what they kept saying is there's no Amazon helpline. There's no Amazon helpline. I thought, well, I'm going to make the, Amazon helpline then. That's what people want. So um, yes, I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to offer the Marketplace Institute, which is you know to much smaller companies as well as the larger companies that we've historically worked with at Bobsled Marketing. I, uh, there's a couple, I'm going to unpack that. Um, there's a okay. bunch of stuff there. Well, no, there's a lot there. Um, yeah. I mean, I do love the idea of actually having somebody who will answer a specific question because that's one of the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. Most of it's intuitive and you're going along and then all of a sudden it's like, huh, I can interpret that two or three ways. All right, where? Right. Now that's when you start down the rabbit hole. And if you go and yep. use Google or YouTube, you're going to get 50 different answers to that same thing. So the thing that you thought were two mm. or three are now 150. And you're like, what do mm-hmm. I do? And so to have an expert that, that's been through it, I think that's that's a great idea. And I think it's way, uh, way past due needed. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is I'm thinking that 
you're you're taking experience from these larger companies and then broke it down because I assume this is Steve's assumption who's worked I've been in I've been a CFO in a bunch of companies so I've, I've kind of been involved in this stuff we would expand as we're expanding we're growing we're we're building out this team and then once you hit you know when the team starts to work and all the processes my job to come in was to squeeze out the profits from that right and squeeze down mm. the processes and I'm that pretty good at that unfortunately and that usually meant eliminating <laughs> positions and things like that but it's mm. the truth and so what you're saying is that hey here's what the team really will end up looking like here's the blueprint of what it's going to look like and so therefore mm-hmm. you can fill it in and it gets rid of that fluff right is that is that fair what I'm saying it that mm-hmm. way that is that am I correct yeah I, say I think it? there's a couple of well yeah I think there's a couple of reasons why you'd want to have your internal an internal team that's handling Amazon. It's not often it is related to cost and it's just like, well, we, if we can get rid of an agency or a consultant, then we should consider that. And, and some of it is driven by cost, but sometimes it's also just driven by efficiency within the company and the yeah. fact that you want to keep your institutional knowledge in house. And for us as an, as an agency at, at Bobsled, there are, we try and be as full service as possible and really manage all aspects of the Amazon channel for our clients. But there's some things that we just don't have visibility into. Like we don't always have item level profitability information Mm. and be able to make a call on what our ad budget should be for that particular ASIN. So we have to go back to the client and say, what's the ad budget for this? Whereas if we were an internal part of the internal team, we might already have that item level P&L and understand what we should be spending on ads for that particular product. Um, we don't always know what's in the product pipeline. We we have to come up to speed on who's their target customer, what do they care about, and so there's some, you know, when you whenever you're outsourcing, there is some inefficiency in trying to get that agency or consultant or you know contractor up to speed with what your company's all about and how to do certain things. So sometimes companies in, and I'm even talking about fifty hundred. million companies, they often work with an agency, but they also want to have some portion of that handled in-house as well because of that efficiency um, in just keeping that knowledge internal, don't have to translate everything out, don't have to manage external providers. Um, But having said that, there are still some areas where it will make sense to outsource. So I'm not sure if we're going to get more into like you know, what should that team look like and when should you outsource or not? But that's, it's, it's a real conversation have happening at the $500 million company level and at the $500,000 company level, everyone is thinking about the same stuff. You know, uh, as I sit and listen to that, I'm thinking about, um, how complicated what you described, right? So if you're a one skew operation, you have one product, what you mm. describe, it's easy, right? I mean, it, it not mm-hmm. e- easy is relative, but it's 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 easier to understand. Everybody's on the same page. We all know we're going. We're selling Steve's water bottle, right? That's what we're doing. But the minute you get two or three, like you're saying, is that you know what do we focus on? How do you how do you as an outside company get mm-hmm. the pulse of the company and and into their customers to know that it gets impossible, especially when you get mm. to scale. So that that is a reason. Um, well, I was thinking about like what I like about like your some of your pre-information that I was able to read through um, you talk about this Amazon team and you get specific on who should be on your Amazon team can you give us mm. a little peek into what what the really successful companies are in or what they're who they're finding to run that right. Amazon team it's not some old 55 year old white guy named Steve is it it's not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily well, sometimes, sometimes it is yeah oh okay <laughs> Um, so the, the caveat is always is it, it depends. It depends on the capabilities of the company and who's involved with the Amazon channel already. So, um, some brands that we've worked with the, the head of the e-commerce division, or in some cases, even the owner has a real strong grasp of pay-per-click advertising. And so they have like a, already have a really good grounding in that. And so that's one area where they, have a lot of insight they know what they're doing they want to be in the driver's seat and so that's great in other companies there isn't you know they've hardly ever spent money on digital advertising and that's an area that they need to come up to speed on so 
putting that aside and the, and the fact that some companies are going to have, they're going to have different strengths and weaknesses. I look at four main areas of um, critical capabilities with Amazon. The first is operations. And this is all the unsexy stuff that happens that you need to do to make sure that your products literally show up on Amazon. So that includes staying in, in stock, right? Mm. Your products aren't going to show up in search organic or paid if you're not in stock. So you need to be doing inventory forecasting. You need to be responding to hazmat reviews. You need to be all of those seller performance related, um, workflows need to be handled by someone. And so that is, uh, in the case of bobsled where we're working with larger brands, we're often doing all of the heavy lifting with that, but then we have to be working with a really competent warehouse manager at the, within the brand. Well, can, yeah, can we stop yeah. at each one of these? Because yeah. I want to go a little bit deeper on that. Because uh-huh. I was sitting there thinking about when you go to a company, where do they find that person? Is it just the person, the person running the warehouse has got a lot of issues, Kiri. He's got people not showing up. In my town, for example, we have five Amazon warehouses. You can make $28 an hour working in one of these warehouses. However, there are, there's 50 million square feet of warehousing in our town. And so there are more warehouses. There's so many options. Their turnover at all these places is enormous. Isn't that guy got enough problem or lady? They don't really have enough problems. And now you're going to dump that operations responsibility on my overworked guy, Kiri, what are you doing? <laughs> well, yeah. So, so maybe the, the title is not necessarily always mm. warehouse manager. It might be, and, and depending on the company as well and the size, they might have a supply chain manager or supply chain specialist. They might have different, you know, an operations manager, but the point is who within the company is responsible for inventory planning and management and dealing with the operational requirements that come up. So it doesn't, you know, this, it's just table stakes, whether it's done internally by a employee or a contractor or a freelancer or someone like that or whether an agency is handling it for you this just has to be done so do they have different skill sets i mean so like they're used to doing what you're describing for retail stores mm. right in some ways and, and depending on the old model they would sell at shows and all that kind of jazz and the orders mm-hmm. were six months to 12 months and it's mm. way different now right i mean mm-hmm. are most people uh, let me ask this uh, from your experience are most people able to adapt to it or have you seen that who I thought was going to be the right guy? I'm curious. I've got the right guy. He's my guy. And then we bring mm-hmm. him to you and then you're like, he's a nice guy, but he's not the guy. You need somebody who has mm-hmm. this other skill set. Is that what you've seen mm-hmm. or no? Uh, yes. And, mm. and that is a question of management. So as a manager, are you, um, do you have your list of requirements role? roles and responsibilities of what that person needs to do and the skills that they need to have. And then if, if you've identified someone and it's not working out, then this is a, a question of management. What are you going to do to either get them to the right level of capability or just decide that they weren't the right fit for that role to begin with? Okay. And so you've but seen yeah, that. It happens. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Absolutely. Okay. All right. We'll yeah. go on to the second one. I'm ready for the next person. Okay, the next person, and it could still be part of some, all of these things could still be part of someone else's larger role, right? You might not have a dedicated person for each of these, but these are the four capabilities that you need to have represented by someone within your company or outside. The second role is brand protection. So um, I know that not everyone listening to this show has their own brand, but when we're talking about brands on Amazon, what they are concerned about is having control over pricing and content and the buy box. And so if, if a brand is on Amazon selling directly, that's what they're concerned about. And um, in that case, you want to have someone, preferably with the aid of some software as well, monitoring product listings to see are you capturing the buy box most of the time? Do you have other sellers selling um, at a significant lower price point? Because from a brand standpoint, that really hurts your relationship with other retailers who are selling your products if customers can buy your um, products on Amazon cheaper than they could in the store. So um, that's a big part of brand protection. And then the other component of brand protection is responding to customer reviews. Mm. And this is something that a lot of 
particularly larger brands with big catalogs, just never get around to doing. But it's such an important thing to just respond to those negative reviews and offer a solution or correct someone if someone's misguided correct them gently like it's it's such an easy thing to do that gets missed a lot particularly by bigger brands with large catalogs they're not used to worrying about that right i mean as you sit and describe that right if if you went into let's use the 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 mecca of uh retail goods kmart that beautiful place it was Mm -hmm. um if you went in there and the snoopy uh, lunchbox, I'm dating myself, wasn't up the snuff. The brand never knew about it. It just got returned and nobody ever, nobody ever saw it, right? It just, it, it got consumed in the system. That store got a credit. Everything was fine. Now people are buying that Snoopy lunchbox on Amazon directly based on those reviews. And so mm-hmm. that's a real different conversation for that brand. They never paid attention to that, right? Where do you, where does that mostly lie? Where do you find people Taking Because when I think of brand protection, I'm thinking of the lawyers, right? I'm thinking of the lawyers mm-hmm. that would be the ones sending those nasty letters out to resellers saying, mm-hmm. stop selling my stuff, you don't authorize, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But reviews, where does that happen in a company or what, where have you found it to be placed now? So uh, as an agency, we place it into that brand protection bucket as a as a concept. What do you need to do to protect your brand on Amazon? It's of course, about resellers and the impact that resellers can have on pricing and content. But it's also what are people saying about your brand on Amazon? And that really comes into the reviews area. So and this is this is why I'm saying maybe for each of these areas, one person in might take on the roles Mm. of operations and brand protection, that kind of makes sense. They're both very process oriented roles where there's a big long checklist of things you do every day and there's a big long checklist of things that you do every week and and you're monitoring and you're you know doing lots of communications with customers so maybe one person is handling both of those things but as a as a category of um of of work we would put that review management into brand protection who's responsible for brand protection in your company even if you do get to the point where you know, you've got such persistent issues with um, resellers who are who are causing issues for you that you engage with a lawyer. There's still a, a few steps before that point. You don't just call up a lawyer at the uh, at the drop of a hat. You need to assess the situation first and figure out how serious it is. Yeah, I think I think brands are getting that where they used to be much more reactive now they're mm-hmm. being a well maybe it they're lighter at it uh, there was a heavy hand for a long time and then all of a sudden a lot of resellers are pushing back saying wait a second legally i can do whatever i want you don't have rights to do that um you're the responsible for your brand and you're not representing it right blah 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 and now the brand's getting smarter about it and they're handling it uh, mm. more delicately but i i like the idea now that brands i mean like you're describing that role of um the operations person handling the review part they also have the ability to fix the issue, right? When they start mm. to see, because they probably never were close to that, right? That, that that stuff never made it back to those people, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, or it would take through eight layers and it would be filtered and slanted the way that person wanted. By the time it mm. got back there, nothing ever. So this is that's a that's a real selling point for a brand, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you know, mm. if if you've got someone within your company reading through all of the customer reviews and they're noticing a pattern of well everyone's talking about this feature that's missing then you ding, bring ding, that ding, brand- ding, ding, yeah, yeah ding 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 yeah and you take that back to whoever is then responsible for improving the products and and making design updates and the amount of um intelligence you can get from just reading mm. reviews of your products that's a is a huge opportunity that's how most of us find new private label products to to create because mm-hmm. we read the review of your brand and we Kiri's missing the boat on this one. Boom, we fix it yeah. and boom, magic. Wow, we have a product. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly. You never it. heard that Staying before, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's go to number three. Okay, number three is organic marketing, and so what goes in this bucket is SEO content. And uh, making sure that you're staying up to date with all the different promotional programs and tools that Amazon's always testing and rolling out. So um, the foundation of Amazon is search 
and because that's people don't necessarily go to Amazon and start clicking around on categories. They go to Amazon and they type something into the search bar because they're looking to either they're in the latest stage of their research um, journey with the product. They're standing they're in a retail it. store and they're looking at a product and they're like, hmm, yeah. is that cheaper <laughs> on Amazon, right? Yes, exactly. So you want to make sure you, all of the search engine optimization factors that are involved Keyword research is really keyword optimization is really important, and then for going further down the customer journey as well. What kind of content do you have? Have you optimized uh, your bullet points and descriptions and photos? And have you built a storefront? Are you running promotions during Black Friday? Have you set up lightning deals periodic? You know, like creating that kind of calendar and strategy and managing the content of your product assortment. That is what the, uh, the organic marketing um, category requires. You know, when you went to retailers, I apologize for interrupting because I'm just thinking yeah. about this though. When this is what they used to do, right? They'd put out those, uh, you know, the, the, the promotions for the year or two. We do a promotions calendar for several years out. We know what holidays are. We kind of have a plan. Then we'd give the store a plan and we'd come out with what product. How different is it? Because I'm, I'm assuming when you go to a company and say this, they're like, oh, yeah, we already do this, Kiri. Yeah, we got it. We got it. You know, Steve handles that. He's, you know, he puts out the store planners. He does all that. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. But that's not what we're talking about, right? I mean, that's got to be a, a a problem conversation for some companies. Yeah. And um, it's, I think for companies who've really only, their, their marketing team has only ever dealt with marketing to retailers. Um, it's, this is where the, there is a big um, need to, to develop a new skill, right? Yeah, exactly. So maybe there's, uh, you know, it's definitely more common in like the B2B space or for, um, for products that typically were sold first to distributors or other stores. It's more about trade marketing Mm. rather than marketing direct to consumer. So that direct to consumer marketing skill is not always present, um, for these brands. And so, that keyword research um, process and copywriting for a consumer, um, those are all things that need to be, those are capabilities that need to be present. So in some companies, they just don't have that capability and that's where it makes sense to outsource product page development, copywriting, maybe you need all new photos and things, videos made, things like that. So um, what this is a particularly good one to outsource because you might not need to have a creator on staff all the time. You might only need a content creator the two times a year that you're launching new products. So this is a particularly common one to actually outsource to an agency or a specialist provider the marketplace institute.com um, which is the site where you have this um, kind of think tank on how mm-hmm. to do all these things are are these outlined in there where somebody can kind of go through and start like a checklist approach to this to sit back because I'm already I mean you know we're described only three but I mean <laughs> from those three roles there's you know 15 yeah. roles right I mean really sub roles yeah. Yes, it, that's that's exactly the point of the knowledge base in the Marketplace Institute is that there's there's some things that you need to do on Amazon which are very process-oriented and sometimes those processes change a little bit over time, like there's steps to be added or taken away, but there's a lot of processes and then there's a lot of best practices which have been, you know, Amazon is not always, they're not going to tell us what's in their search algorithm. That's top, top secret source locked away in a vault. They're never going to tell us that. But there's a lot of agencies and consultants and smart people who study how things show up on Amazon, what are the inputs and things like that. And we've sort of figured it out, not me personally, but in the whole ecosystem of Amazon experts, people have pieced it together and said, okay, we think these seven factors make up the, the primary driver of the of the algorithm. So if um, what frequently happens is Amazon is part of someone's job in a larger company. They're often also managing walmart.com 
and a relationship mm. with Target and they're also managing the e-com store and Amazon's just part of their job. So they can't spend eight hours a day researching changes in Amazon search algorithm that are cutting edge. <laughs> and uh, that's the case also, even if you're not a large company, if you're a one man show, you don't have time to write all these processes yourself, update them whenever the smallest thing changes. And, um, and then as you grow outsource those in a reliable way. So that is where certainly being able to plug into existing processes and best practices is helpful because you don't have to reinvent the wheel and you know that you're using um, the, the latest and greatest best practices there. If you miss one, I mean, if it's something slips through the cracks, I mean, it could derail mm -hmm. the whole thing. And then you're like, well, curious, it didn't, Amazon didn't work for me. I mean, how many times mm -hmm. have you heard that? Well, it just, you know, we, we tried to sell there at Curie. It just doesn't work for us. You know, we're different right? We're different. Oh, right? yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've heard right. the word different. I've heard we're different a lot. Um, and there are some categories, if I may be so bold as to say, are chronically um, behind the eight ball. And those are um, prestige beauty who really held out against Amazon for a long time. I don't even they know. As a guy, I don't even know what that means. Well, like luxury beauty items. So, Still you know, really high end brands. Okay. <laughs> <I'm teasing. laughs> so they were always like, we don't want to be in the same shopping cart yeah. as someone's toilet paper. And right. so, but now it's like, okay, that's not how people buy. If I have bought, if I went to Sephora and tried 20 different lipsticks and I found the one that, that I like, I don't want to go back to Sephora every time to buy that lipstick. I know the brand. I know the color. I know the size that I want. I just want to buy it on Amazon and have it the next day. With your toilet so, paper. Because you yeah, don't care. Sure. That's right. No, you don't care. I mean, yeah, it's um, – so anyway, those those brands that are sort of behind are the ones who said, well, we're different and people aren't going to buy luxury lipsticks on Amazon or people aren't going to – we've got a client who um, sells – they're a manufacturer of steel T-bars and steel beams and they sell steel beams on Amazon like nobody's That's business. Crazy. So like, you know, these industrial products and machinery and medical supplies and supplies for dental offices, like people buy everything on Amazon. And so um, I think the original question was, oh, yeah, Amazon doesn't work for me. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I certainly think that there are some products that won't work on Amazon, um, which which we turn away. And that is very high-end products like uh, Tiffany jewelry, Louis Vuitton purses. Like there's just, they don't have any need to really be on Amazon. They've got such prestige around their brands. Um, and then also very high-end clothing. No one's going to buy a $400 uh, bathrobe from Amazon. You know, like th there's some things where, it, yeah, I could, it doesn't really make sense. Um, so those really – sort of independent high-end apparel particularly is is really difficult or anything that's like significant priced very very significantly high above um what else is for sale on amazon that can often be challenging you know one thing that i was thinking about too is industries still haven't adapted to accept mm -hmm. amazon as the marketplace like you're describing you can buy steel beams on amazon mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i just heard last week that they're going to be selling cars on amazon some way now i don't huh. know if it's new cars i don't know how that's going to work but well, how cool would that be to know that there's yeah. somebody who i can trust well i tell this mm -hmm. story um we just we're remodeling a home we just purchased and uh, we go, and my wife sat on the farm sink. She's watched all those shows, right? So you got to have a farm sink. And uh -huh. so our, our, our contractor's like, yeah, it's 12 weeks. you got to pick out your sink now. 12 weeks? We go, I pull oh up on God. Amazon. I literally, I'm like, it says it'll be here on Monday. Is that the same sink? And she's like, well, yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, we bought it on Amazon. It came within a week. And she's like looking at us like we have a third eye because she's used to 12 weeks. I'm like, oh, you guys are crazy to think that because but that's an established thing think about it right how many yes. distributors how many and how many right. limits you know and so yep. it's it's now I, I keep telling them if you have hard to place items 
just start buying them from Amazon. It's just, and, right. and so she's like looking at, like I said, we're like their test case. And then I'm like, <laughs> our handles, I'm like, we can order these, right? And she goes, yeah, yeah. And and it's it's a very weird, because she's pulling out these books. I'm like, I don't want to look at a book. I'm going online. Like, <laughs> So it's such a weird uh, transition um, that, that I don't think people so accept funny. it. so funny. It's a true story. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. All right. All right, wow. let's go to number four, because I'm, I'm excited. Um, well, let me go back to organic okay. <laughs> marketing on that content because I do want to make sure I'm clear on that too. Is that also, are you taking brands because, you know, in the old day, well, and I know this is, it's so hard to relate for Steve who sells, you know, small seller to relate to these giant companies, but, but they use outside agencies to do all the writing and stuff like that and magazine stuff, any of that. But now that brand, that lipstick brand really has to put out its own content in places like uh, on Instagram and places like that. Right. Are, are you ending up having to coach them through that to help them sell on Amazon now? Um, Do you know what in, I mean? Am I correct in, when I say it? Yeah. In, in some cases, mm. because in, in some cases, I mean, every every brand's at a different stage and every brand has different channels that work for well for, for them, work well for them. Um, and so some brands have grown up. Amazon first and digitally native. And so they really get it and they, and they're really savvy with Amazon. They're starting to branch into other channels, but have no clue about brick and mortar retail. And then other brands have been brick and mortar retail for 60 years, a hundred years, and they've got no idea what this Instagram thing is. Mm. So, um, and maybe they're in a space where their shopper is not on Instagram. So it's irrelevant and, um, they should, continue to um, do their in-store marketing because the in-store marketing also helps to drive sales on Amazon. Right, right. So it's it's very dependent on who their customer is, what channels those customers are looking for information on. And in, in some cases, they're looking for information in a store. And so why would you bother trying to like come up with a great social media strategy when those customers are not active on social media, for example? But, you know, as you say, this is something else that I'm thinking about is like you, you're saying that, you know, Steve's in the store getting ready to buy something. I look it up on Amazon, not only for price, but also for reviews and for quality. And then I still buy it from the retail store. I mean, I, I don't always just buy it from Amazon because I want it a lot of time right now. I'm ready to pick it up. But I do mm-hmm. make my decision. I'm looking at three different um water bottles and I'm looking at which one has the better reviews because in the retail store, they can't tell you that it's sitting on a shelf. There's, there's a whole myriad of them, right? So I think that's really important for people to understand too, or brands to understand that that mm. information is what we're deciding in retail. And so that's why it's so yeah. important. It makes sense. Uh, don't, yeah. You're smart, Kiri. You're smart. I get it. All right. All right. Take me to the fourth place. <laughs> I've take just been doing the... this for a long time, like you. Just too, too many hours spent on this. I'm, that's old. All I'm it way is. older than you. Cut me a break. I know I am. <laughs> I saw your picture. I'm way older. All right. Take me through uh, the fourth one. So the fourth one is paid advertising. And uh, this is an area, again, kind of like developing content where it's often an easy, not necessarily easy, but a a, a good candidate to outsource because it's so technical and specific. So Amazon at at bobsled marketing my agency this is also how we've got our team set up we have an account manager who does the oversees the marketing and the operations and the brand protection and then we have an entirely separate person two people actually an advertising manager and an advertising specialist just running the ppc um, for that client because the role is so specific takes a very specific type of brain I could not I will never manage anyone's PPC I do not have this kind of brain that calculates percentages and ROI at the drop of a hat but um, this is one area that requires a lot of experience a lot of background knowledge a lot of staying up to date with changes that Amazon is making every week and um, this area really needs a specialist involved because it's very easy to lose your shirt with campaigns that shouldn't have been created or using the wrong targeting or have the wrong bid type or have the wrong budget. Um, so this is one area where you really want someone who's specialized to come in and manage, um, PPC for your brand. Hmm. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, running our little business and our little private label stuff. 
we are doing all these roles and not necessarily mm-hmm. well. <coughs> Excuse me. It, 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 it really is something to think about. So that small company, if they're smart and they started a brand and it's starting to have a little bit of legs, this is the place that they need to be looking at these four roles and then start identifying mm-hmm. what they can do or can't do yeah. and start building yeah. that out. And you could do it at, at even at that half a million dollar mark. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think, you, have you read the book, The E-Myth? I did. I love it. Yeah. Michael Gerber. Love that. Yes. I probably read it before you were born, but That's go a- ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's one that everyone listening to this show could, should go and read if they haven't already. And one concept that uh, Michael Gerber talks about is draw your organizational chart and figure out what roles you need to have. In the beginning, you might be doing all of those roles because, and I've, I've been there, I'm sure that you have as well, Stephen, but at, at some point you need to do everything yourself. But at, 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 an, at a new point um, where you have a bit more cash coming in, then you can outsource your bookkeeping and accounts receivable to someone who's much better at, at doing that. And then you can start outsourcing these roles and delegating roles that you're not good at, someone else would do better than you, et cetera. But the point is draw that organizational chart and figure out what are the roles and responsibilities for each of those positions. And in reality, one person could be doing five of those jobs or Mm -hmm. two of those jobs, or maybe you just completely outsource one of those functions for a while or for the foreseeable future, whatever it is. But the point is make that map, figure out what you need and what capabilities you personally have existing people on your team personally have what should you outsource what should you look to ultimately bring back in house once you have the money um so again these four areas they could be done by various people but the point is that you think about what you need to get done in your company and you have a plan it was something that you've got me thinking about that i had not thought about you also at some point might insource that meaning that yeah. it was out and and that's mm-hmm. what you're saying is that like mm-hmm. because you want more control and you want mm-hmm. what, you want to bring them to the conversation table and it's not so easy as you described in the beginning of our conversation about bringing an agency and getting them involved in the day-to-day because they got other clients right and so at yep. some point it's not each one of these things aren't permanent right they they need to to live and breathe right because it yeah. things change hmm. yeah Love it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was part of the reason why I looked at creating the Marketplace Institute is because at Bobsled we had um, more than a few clients ultimately say to us, you guys have been great, we've learned so much, so we're bringing it in-house now. Yeah, yeah we love you, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love you, but, you know, we want Sally to do this, Sally in e-commerce to do this now. And that is, I can't fault... A, yeah business owner or a president to, to do that because yeah, in, in some cases it would be better for them financially and for that institutional knowledge to blossom for them to do that. But I didn't want to just let them go on their way because I know how hard it is to keep up with Amazon. So creating this resource for them to actually have the processes, have someone to call when they get stuck because everyone gets stuck on something eventually. Yeah. Yes, but that that's exactly it because I think that ultimately not all of these roles, but at least some of them you should be looking to keep in-house. Maybe not, you know, PPC advertising is not the first candidate I think of for that, but you certainly want to think about what operational um, processes you can keep in-house. That makes the most sense to me. And especially as their business is changing as part of our pre-call we were talking about. In my, my community, there's so many stores have closed. Well, those people and those corporate staffs or whatever had roles related to that and maybe they mm-hmm. could transition to other things. And so as they, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I, I think the world's evolving so quickly, the ability to adapt and uh, what you're describing at the Marketplace Institute, I think is, is uh, utility. Um, I love that mm-hmm. consumer direct marketing skills. I'm taking that line. I love that. That's a very specific thing that most people don't have. Retailers don't have that right. uh, at the corporate level, right? They're, you know, or yeah. they're, like you're saying, especially with distributors and things like that. All right. Do yeah. you, uh, if, is this the kind of stuff that you talk about on the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. It is. It is. Thank you for mentioning that. I give you all. Yeah. yeah. I, I just yes. think it's cool. Yeah. So the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I've been doing it for about 
almost two years now. Awesome. Congrats. Um, yeah, so our listener is, uh, listeners are generally sales and marketing managers at, at mid-sized companies, but we do talk about a lot of trends in Amazon trends, e-commerce trends. The most recent series I did was with um, CMOs, chief marketing officers from brands, um, in advance of my new book that's coming out later this month called Amazon for CMOs. Um, there that's a much more sort of high level uh, conversation about how to, what organizational design should look like and what your innovation budget should look like and things like things that larger companies might be thinking about that smaller companies um, generally don't need to think about a lot of the time because it's just me, myself, and I, and (laughs) you do the work that's in front of you. There's not a whole, you know, you can only plan so far ahead. But if people are interested in understanding sort of how leaders at these bigger companies are thinking about things, then it it might be a good show for for folks to tune into. I I think Org D at high level does translate Mm. to small level in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah. But we take it for granted because, like you said, you do the work in front of you, but you don't realize, well, that really is that role. A whole, you know, I used, I used to describe, I had payroll departments. I mean, like <laughs> I had teams that would do payroll. Yes. Now it's yes. like you push a button. But that, that yes. department, what they, they thought they were saving the world because they were every day, every week you got paid, you know, and that kind of. Well, and so, it's pretty important. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty important, right? People, we were heroes once a week, right? But yeah. then when they outsourced it or consolidated uh-huh. it you know i was the evil guy you know cutting that back but but it's true well, this, you can yeah. change that yeah it's translatable <laughs> it is translatable I, I think what what's really helpful for solopreneurs and smaller businesses to realize is so much of what i me and my co-author put into this book was how to negotiate with other like heads of other departments and get people on the same page and get people talking to each other and when you're in a big company like you said there's so much there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of communication breakdown. There's a lot of like silos. Yes. And so things move a lot slower because you need to get a budget approved for this and you need to report back on that. And then the board wants to know about this. And so that's one advantage that you have as a small company is that you can move lightning fast whenever something changes or whenever you, you see some customer feedback saying that, you know, this feature is missing. Great. You can get, a jump on that right away. Um, and so that is even with the other issues like cash flow and, you know, ch- other challenges of running a small business, that is one massive advantage that you have that these CMOs of multi million or billion dollar companies don't have that luxury of being able to move quickly. I think it's the leveling. Um, that's probably mm-hmm. the, the, the biggest leveling thing that's going on right now. That's why so many mm-hmm. new brands have been created, right? Where yeah. all the, you would expect that giant, we have R&D, right? Yes. The R&D department <laughs> handles that, right? No, yeah. there is nobody in R&D anymore. And yeah. those companies are drug companies that have government that guarantee their funds. They don't have to worry about it, right? The rest of us all have to do it. And so that big machine like you're describing, we used to, oh, you couldn't get a decision, right? And now, mm-hmm. um, oh, I love it. Okay, so uh, e-commerce braincast, e- e-commerce brain trust podcast, the marketplaceinstitute.com is where um, you can learn those consumer direct marketing skills, which I think is a very <laughs> cool thing. And bobsled marketing because you're not busy enough. Um, you got a lot of things. How about if somebody has follow up questions? Where's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, the best. Uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if you send me a connection request on LinkedIn and and particularly mention that you listened to me on the e-commerce momentum podcast, and I will definitely accept your uh, invite if you mention that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So the way I, I end my podcast is I always try to get people past that point of stuck. Mm. And because mm. as you say that everybody, you know, your answer is going to be called the Amazon hotline. Right, <laughs> that's your answer. Wait, when they have it, that's a reality. I mean, that is true. Mm-hmm. But, but what do you do uh, when you get stuck? Because you got to hit that wall too. And how do you push past it? And what, what would, what, what advice that has worked for you that you can help others understand? Mm. Well, I think uh, one thing that you asked me to look at. I'm not sure if this is the same thing, but like a, a process improvement. Would mm. that be helpful to share? A hundred percent. Okay, great. So. One thing that I have 
found over the last five years running my company, we've got 30 employees now who are remote. And um, it was a big journey for me to go on personally to learn how to properly manage other people and delegate. And sometimes I would delegate and things went really well. Sometimes I'd delegate and the thing didn't get done at all. And then other times I'd delegate and the thing got done in a completely different way to what I envisioned it. So what I've found to work really well, and I can't take credit for this, it's actually from the leadership uh, expert, Michael Hyatt, who also has a great podcast. I love Michael Hyatt. Yeah, so this tool is called an empowerment contract. And um, basically there is a frame, there's different levels of authority that you can give someone when you delegate a task. You can say, if you, uh, I, I'm gonna let you do some research, and come back to me with all of your research, or I'm going to let you do some research and, and come up with a list of options and then think about the best option and come back to me with that recommendation and I'll make a decision. And then like the highest level is here's the situation, go and handle it in the best way that you think possible. And just tell me what you did after mm -hmm. you did it. Um, and, and I'm oversimplifying it. I do recommend looking up Michael Hyatt and empowerment contract and getting that actual, I think he even has like a worksheet that you can download, but that really clicked for me because as small business owners, you just, you get to a point where you just can't do everything you do need to delegate, but do it in the right way. So the person understands exactly what they should be doing, how much authority they have to make a decision, if at all. And you also get comfortable with, um, you know, different types of decisions and issues. Like you're going to want a different level of uh, involvement in. So I, that's one huge tool that I have recently, <laughs> more recently than I would have liked, realized is it is really critical in delegating. I think it's it's powerful because and you can work them up that ladder, right? As mm -hmm. as you as Kiri delivers, hey, okay, let's give her some more yeah. rope and give her some more yep. rope. So that's awesome, love it, love yeah. it, love it. Okay, so again, um, so reach out uh, the e-commerce brain trust podcast, uh, Bobsled Marketing, and the Marketplace Institute um, for those consumer direct marketing. I'm telling you, I love that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. I wish you nothing but success. Thank you, Steve. Great to talk with you. So very cool. I mean, it's just really neat, um, neat story. And again, think about it from their perspective. This is what you're up against. When you're selling, you're selling somebody else's brand. This is what they're doing. They're, they don't have you in consideration in any possible way because they're trying to survive. They're trying to control their future just like you are um, trying to control your future. So what could you do? Could you add value? You heard the roles that are important in those, uh, those brands. If you want to work for someone, that would be an opportunity, every one of those things, because you have those skill sets. Um, or you go into a brand and say, hey, I can help you fill these roles because this is an opportunity. Or if you're building your own brand, these are the this is the blueprint that you kind of want to use. And so go check out the Marketplace Institute and, and see if there's something there. I love this consumer direct marketing skills. That is a skill set that I wasn't taught in grad school. Um, consumer direct. Got to learn that. Love it ecommercemomentum.com ecommercemomentum.com take care thanks for listening to the ecommerce momentum podcast all the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number please remember to subscribe and like us on itunes